Yeah, thank you for tuning in. It's more than a podcast. Inexhaustible episodes, God's vast. Glorify Him as we broadcast the Lord's grace and God's wrath. More serious than a bomb blast. Full disclosure inside the title. No surprises, simply put, guys with Bibles. Yeah. Just some regular reborn reformed cats If it's in the Bible then they're gonna speak on that Cause the scripture is the final word okay. Competing ideas quite absurd Of this you can be quite assured <laughs> yeah. We were lost in the darkness of night immersed in sin But then the, the light, light emerged. emerged It was the Son of God, divine Christ that shines light The word in Genesis that assigned life in hindsight And was revealed through the prophets and apostles We magnify and expound on the power of the gospel Yeah, yeah Hey everybody, this is Guys with Bibles. I'm Sean. And I'm Martin Lee Jones. <laughs> you forgot the you forgot the English accent. I know I should have. My my Martin Lloyd Jones uh, impression is not very good. Yeah. I need to work on it. He has a great accent or had a great Gosh, accent. Yeah. He really did. What a legend. Yeah. Do you do you listen to that podcast by the way? The sermon yeah. podcast? No, I don't. <gasps> I'll be honest. Oh, you should. I have to. You don't set, listen to podcasts. Uh, well, it's very hard for me anymore because I don't really have a commute to work, and that's when that was like the only time I had to myself to listen. Um, yeah. So, if I want to listen to a podcast, I basically have to stay up past my bedtime to listen, and then be really tired at work the next day. That doesn't sound like. Like great options. Yeah, so I listen to them, but it's few and far between, and it usually takes me a while to actually, if it's a long podcast, it usually takes like me... Like ours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it usually takes me a couple days, so... But, um... Oh, well. It, but, how have you been, Lee? Oh, I've been great. How about you? Well, I have two things to talk about real quick. One... A couple di- wait, what was it? What's today? Tuesday? Sunday. Today is Tuesday. Sunday afternoon. So, me and the kids go to worship. Uh, we get home. Well, it's Father's Day. So, uh, we get home. All right. Happy belated Father's Day. Oh, thank you. Uh, we get home. Then we go visit my parents and my dad. And then we go see uh, their mom's parents for a little bit. And... Then we come home, and we did. We played their very first adventure of Dungeons and Dragons, and let me tell you, they had a blast. They loved it. There was at one point they were walking around an okay. They're walking around an old castle, and mm-hmm. and I'm narrating it because I'm the the dungeon master. Okay, I've of ri- course you are. <laughs> yes. What else would you be? But. It was hilarious because Ellie's like staring at me like all into it as I'm <laughs> explaining the room that they're in. And, and then I was like, but wait, what's that sound? And then I like scratch the bottom of the table like there's little scratching sounds. And then, and then I get real loud and I slam my hands down the table and I'm like, three rats! 
They're coming at you. What? What's your action? <laughs> and Ellie and, and Ellie just like frozen fear, like it was real. It was hilarious. <laughs> Noah's like laying on the floor, like crying. He's laughing so hard. Oh, but they had a good time. And then today, so did they did they end up dispatching the rats? Oh yes. Noah okay, dispatched good. him with one swing of his battle axe. It was amazing. Of course. <laughs> no less than a paladin. Oh yes, he's a he's a paladin. Yes. But then today, I got some new ink on the outside of my forearm. A lot of new ink. Yeah, it's big, man. Some big ink. I wasn't expecting it to take up the whole forearm, but you know what? I like it. It'll just be like a uh, like a billboard for one who runs. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool, though. And what's it say? It says, Pax Sola in Morte, which is Latin for peace only in death, which is a good Christian ideal. Yep. So. Well, c- could you say that it's analogous to be killing sin or sin will be killing you, wherein that we're not we're not at peace we have to be fighting the good fight right so to speak until the end and and the other the other forearm eventually um might take me a little while but the other forearm is gonna be uh bellum and omni spiritu which is latin for war in every breath so both those together would be quite analogous with what you just said nice so Spiritual And you war. picked a great font for it also. Yeah, like sweet Roman imperial like font. Legit looking Roman font. Yeah, it's cool. But um, it didn't hurt too bad. Uh, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised. So Good for you. Way to go. Such a man. I, I, have, I have nothing exciting to say. <laughs> But the, the 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 three rats attacking Ellie, I I cracked up. That's a milestone right there. She'll remember that. Yeah, she was like dying day. She was like, "Daddy, don't scare me like that again." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Sorry, I got into it." <laughs> All right. Man, anyway, my most, my most exciting thing is that I'm almost done rereading the Silmarillion for the first time in like 15 years. Oh, I need to do that, man. Dude, there was so much I'd forgotten that is so cool. It's really, it's a complex book. It's hard to... Uh, it's a hard book to read. There's yeah. an excellent audiobook of it, though, on um, on Audible. I bought it a while back, and so between that and my print copy, I've been going through it again. I used to have to a full-on Tolkien reread. Oh, I used to have Audible, and I got rid of it when my commute went away. Because that's when I listen to all my audiobooks mm-hmm. as well, and uh, I loved it though. Uh, I consumed so many books that way; it was incredible. Did you listen to all the ones that you owned? Yes. Oh, bummer. And technically, they're still there. I mean, I could log you into just my download account. Download the app again. Yeah. Yeah, because you keep those. Even if I you just don't, don't have get. I just don't membership. get any like. I don't get a credit every month for a book or whatever. 
Yeah, I've done that before where I, I pay for a few months, get a bunch of credits, use them, then cancel for a while, listen to them all, join again, build up some more credits. It's definitely a lot easier than going and buying are those books straight. Are those Imperial credits? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> credits are no 100%. good out here. <laughs> I need something more real. No one's going to get that reference. I need to watch that again. Oh, that was the Phantom Menace. What a show. Or what a movie, I should say. Yeah, that was a... That was the the start of the decline of Star Wars. There was some complexity in that movie, though. But. I don't mind the prequel trilogy as much. I don't like the uber disney ones that they're coming out with now i'll say it right now i don't like them if you if you have a problem with that send us an email <laughs> yeah guys wbibles.gmail.com <laughs> we but really I, want some engagement we need more engagement as standalone movies gotten... they're okay but when you kill off han solo i'm done right yeah then it's over i turned it off as soon as that happened i was like i'm not watching this anymore Oh, um, bef- before we jump into uh, the content, uh, I do w- I do want to bring up something from uh, from Twitter, and uh, uh, we had a request for a uh, uh, for a hire. Uh, so Steve Willis on Twitter has been asking for a while when we're going to get ginger representation on the show. <laughs> He's like, when are you going to have a ginger on the show? <laughs> a ginger? A ginger. Well, they're not really saved, so we can't have them. I'm just kidding. They don't have souls, so they can't be <laughs> saved. So what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I guess. I haven't thought about that. Is, is it, Steve a redhead? He is. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yep. We'll have to get him on the show, so we're not... Have to, yeah, it may just have to be him. We're not anti-Ginger over here. There was a time that uh, Dwayne was going to interview a very famous Ginger on the Bar Podcast, R.C. Sproul Jr., Ah, and yeah. he didn't hit record. <laughs> and the episode is lost to history. Oh, I know how that is. Uh-huh. So there's a, there's a Ginger curse when it comes to podcasting, and I don't know, at this very tender stage in our in our show do we want to risk the ginger curse this early on so this may have to be an idea that we we take and and uh, meditate on rather than act on at this at this moment in history yeah but anyway i wanted to, i wanted to make sure i put that out there and and also to thank michael over on twitter for uh giving me the uh, martin lee jones moniker i i don't deserve it but um uh, grace is never really deserved so thank you <laughs> so <laughs> all right well we're almost 11 minutes in and we're just getting ready to start the content so this is guys with bible <laughs> <laughs> so uh we are going to discuss tonight the panel discussion on covenant theology from together for the gospel this year um and it had mark dever uh al moeller and ligan duncan and they're like besties all of them so it was pretty cool to watch that conversation 
<laughs> two Baptists and, and a Presbyterian walk into Yeah, it's like a, a bad debate. joke. Yeah, it's like a bad joke. <laughs> That'll probably be the title of the episode. <laughs> it wasn't like a debate, though. It was pretty good. No. But, it, um... Yeah, it, it was a panel. A panel discussion. Yeah, it was a discussion. And very graceful, I have to admit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very, and, of course, I mean, they're, they're, they're all extremely good friends and known each other for a very long time, so... Yeah. Um, I mean, I, they sat in a white sports car together. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, out of all three of them, of course, Mr. Moeller was the most well-dressed, I believe. Of course. Yeah. He's a classy guy. He was guy. born in a coat and tie. Like Steve Lawson. They, mm-hmm. they have that in common. Steve Lawson's voice cracks me up. <laughs> I've done my impression once and I cut it out of the podcast. Because <laughs> it just wasn't right. It sounded, it just sounded, it wasn't right. It wasn't right. And I didn't want that. There was something I, I didn't off want that in it. the public discourse. Because <laughs> once it's out there, it's out there, man. Yeah, you can't take it back. The internet is forever. Um, but, uh, Ligon, at the very beginning of the uh, video the, of this discussion, he he uh, gave some definitions for the word covenant. So they kind of so everybody has an understanding of what they're talking about. And he explained that the covenant in Scripture has different meanings depending on how they're using it, the context in which they're using it. Um, and one way was. It's a covenant is a way God secures a relationship uh, by his promise, his faithfulness. Um, It can also describe the relationship itself. So like they use the example of a marriage, you enter into the covenant of marriage, and yet you can also describe marriage itself as a covenant. And then... uh, um, God, uh, this is also covenant is how God relates to humanity. And then he, I can't remember who gave this definition, but it was o. Palmer Robertson, a bond and blood sovereignly administered. Yep. Yes. And then Ligon at the very end hits a home run. He gives this real long definition of a covenant and, it was so long that I was too lazy to write it down. Was he talking about how the Bible hangs together to explain the work of Christ and all that? Yes. Okay, I only wrote down a part of it. I'll read you what I wrote. Okay. It'll it'll jog your memory. Uh, quote, and this is a little bit of a truncated quote. My interest in covenant theology came, um, uh, it was a, his interest be, became about how the Bible hangs together and explains the work of Christ, assurance in defending the Protestant sacraments. Yes. Which I think were kind of interesting. It shows the interconnectedness of covenant theology in really all aspects of theology and in, in studying yeah. scripture and understanding what we're, what we're to be taught. It's sort covenant of like is a, rolled into all of it. Yeah, it's sort of like covenant theology is sort of like a scaffolding that kind of connects scripture together. Right. Yeah. To uh it connects the old and the new testament and the story of redemption and gives a context and a place for that story. Um 
then they got I, then they got into uh, you know is covenant theology from Calvin or is it from Calvinists? Mm. You know, mm-hmm. did, did it did it come later? And basically, um, they said there was a continuity between you know scholars and and very smart guys smarter than us uh, said that, that there's continuity between Calvin and the 16th century reformers and the the guys of the 17th century that were continuing in that tradition. Um, mm-hmm. Calvin himself, if you read the Institutes. Which I have does I not. Uh, he doesn't like say covenant theology, but that entire book is based on it. Right. Just ha- just the context of it, how it's written, it it it's ingrained in it. So it, it reminds me of something R.C. Sproul said actually at a at a previous T4G. Um, where he was, they were talking about inerrancy, and he was talking about inerrancy in his talk, and people were saying that that Luther never wrote about inerrancy, and he said, sure, I mean, he said you could take the complete works of of Martin Luther, and you'll you will not find the word inerrancy there, but you will see him say, scripture does not err. Yeah, basically it's saying it's the same thing. He's just putting it differently, and I yeah. think I think that's exactly right with with Calvin. That he's writing about covenant theology, he's not he's not using that phraseology, but you can see those traces of of parts of a covenant in all the aspects of theology he writes about. Yeah, and and, and also the, covenant theology isn't static either. No, like it, it. Not to say that it changes, but it gets more and more refined the more that later generations right. learn from the theologians before them writing about it, going back to Scripture and exegeting it faithfully and applying that to what's been written in the past so that and, the, the theology gets sharper, but yeah. it's not different. It's just sharper and more well-defined. And then you know, I, I believe it was Mark Dever that kind of kicked off the Baptist versus Presby thing uh-huh. uh, when he said that, you know, in the 17th century, when, when like, as you were saying, they were starting to refine covenant theology the baptists in the 17th century took the westminster and corrected it and improved it <laughs> and got the 1689 so <laughs> when he said corrected i tried to find some hint of a reaction on on ligan's face yeah it was he it was stone come. cold like like yeah. he just stared at him like He's how heard dare it all you <laughs> <laughs> he was numb to it al laughed like you could see him down the in the, his little screen, he was cracking up. <laughs> and you know, speaking of him, he did. I wrote down a long quote of his because it was so good. I wanted to make sure I remembered it. Talking about the Baptist angle, uh, and and it kind of gets into a little bit about dispensationalism, which we can talk about if we want to tonight. But we don't have to. But uh, he said Baptists didn't know any other theology but covenant theology. Right. Yeah. And it was because they read the Bible the exact same way. Um, just like the Presbyterians, they developed and took even further a covenant theology that was a bit more exegetically based than perhaps even logically based. But they could only do so because the intellectual furniture, which was how he described it, intellectual furniture, was already there in the post-Reformation development 
you can't read the Bible without some form of covenant theology. Right. So, I mean, even the even the particular Baptists still had to lean on Reformation teaching of paedo-baptism in order to even uh, articulate their credo-baptist covenant theology. Yeah. Which we might call 1689 federalism. Yes. That's kind of the popular term for it, but... Um, I thought I thought that was really good and giving credit where credit's due because you know we end up in this kind of like I don't know pseudo polemical Baptist versus Presbyterian thing and um, but really as as Reformed Baptists ourselves um, we do owe a debt of gratitude to the magisterial Pado Baptist reformers um, that kind of paved the way for our tradition to even exist. Yeah. Yeah, for mm. sure. We just fixed it. Yeah. <laughs> we sanded down the rough edges. Says the ex pedo baptist <laughs> Only an ex pedo baptist could say that, so... Yeah. You, you have the privilege. Okay. Uh, let's see here. There was another... Covenant of Redemption. Well, before we get to that... <gasps> uh, they mentioned... Um, as you as you look down through the story of redemption and all the different covenants, especially in the old Te- uh, in the Old Testament, uh, they said the only way that these covenants could work is God's faithfulness, and that was strictly the reason for that. Is the other party in the covenant uh, was corrupted by sin. Mm-hmm. Um, they were unable to keep these covenants perfectly the way that they should have. And it was only by God's faithful love and faithfulness and his promises that he made to them that, you know, they they actually worked. <laughs> right. Uh the uh, this this is from the uh, the discussion about the covenant of redemption, but I think this quote applies to what you were just saying. Um, Duncan quoted uh, uh, Gerhardus Voss, and uh, I had to I actually had to stop and take it back just to listen to it a second time. But yeah, uh, he, I've heard he this quote. Say, I I know what you're going to say I have it written down too, and um, I've heard this quote before, and I love it. The main reason why a Christian never has to worry about God stopping loving him is because God never started. Yeah. Whoa. And that's a good segue to get into the covenant of redemption. Yes, thank you. The pactum salutis. (sighs) So, Lee, what, for our listeners that may maybe haven't heard about the covenant of redemption, what is that? Well, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> the covenant of redemption is uh, the establishing covenant in covenant theology. It's a covenant that isn't expressly described in Scripture. Like we can't just point to a chapter and verse uh, where where this covenant is made within the Godhead, but it's it's evidenced across Scripture in multiple places and is. Not only that, but also logically um, crucial to the work of salvation. So what is it? It is a covenant that exists within the Godhead 
that the Father would send the Son to redeem a people from sinful humanity, uh, and that the Spirit would indwell them and enable them to live in righteousness according to the uh, the works and death and resurrection of Christ and uh, the grace that would be given to them uh, in order to uh, to live in this covenant relationship. Right. So without this covenant within the Godhead, there would be no covenant between God and man. Exactly. And when you said uh, there's examples throughout Scripture of this covenant of redemption, um, in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 1 to 5, I'm going to read that. And this is one of those passages that elude to the covenant of redemption. Uh, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven, and said, Father, the house... Oh, I'm sorry. The hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you gave him authority over all flesh, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the only one, and the, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. So That's so a he, great uh, description for it. Yeah. I like had, Psalm 2 as well. Yes, that, that was my next one I was going to go to. I've turned to it here just so we can have a little bit of NASB in this program. Ugh. <clears throat> Uh, I'll, I'll just start in uh, verse uh, 6, Psalm okay. 2. Uh, you know what? I'm going to read the whole thing. Why not? Uh, Psalm 2. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that he may not become angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Hey, man. Hey, man. Here ends the reading. Uh, I think that's a good description of the authority as well that uh, the Father gave the Son. And it all... I mean, ultimately, that culminates in the salvation of the church, but also it's a recognition that that comes with tremendous power and authority, that Jesus is Lord, um, and that the that the Trinity, three in one, that Yahweh is um, the all-powerful God. Yeah, and with that, well, you, you talked about the Voss quote that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> Um, then they said something that I had to pause it and write it down because it was good. I'd never thought of it like this before, but we think of the, 
and this will kind of lead into the next topic that I want to talk about, which is uh, continuity versus discontinuity of covenants. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. before that, we have the Old Testament covenants. So you have the covenant of works, you have the Noahic covenant, you have the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant. Right. You have these covenants, and sometimes even um, some Reformed Baptists will even uh, talk about a Levitical covenant, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is true. It's you bad. have all these, and in the New Covenant, um, which starts in Jeremiah thirty one thirty one, you have the fulfillment of these Old Testament covenants. They were a shadow, a type of the New Covenant. They they foreshadowed Christ fulfilling them all. Right. But in order for there to be a shadow, there needs to be a reality that precedes the shadow. Otherwise, it can't cast a shadow at all. Um, right, and, that's, and the shadow wouldn't exist. It has yeah. to be cast by something. So the, that's what the covenant of redemption does. It precedes it all and gives a place, it gives a reality for the fulfillment in Christ through the shadows of the Old Testament covenants. Right. That'll preach. That'll preach. I'm just kidding. Well, and, and <laughs> the covenant the covenant of redemption is also crucial to understanding um, salvation by grace alone through faith alone as well, because it yeah. shows the unity of the Godhead, not saying that, that God is a... A vengeful God that you have to render the right kind of service before him in order for him to be satisfied. No, he the satisfaction of God began before people even existed to do righteousness before him. Right. Um that they that the three persons of the Godhead um were at peace with each other, had made promises in that covenant, um, that that a sinful humanity would would be uh, given the route to righteousness through Christ. So Excellent. without without the solid grounding of the covenant of redemption, we wouldn't have, we truly wouldn't have a basis for that that true doctrine that's born out in Scripture. Um, and that's why you like when when the guys are talking about it, how both Ligon Duncan and Albert Moeller can say that when they first learned about the covenant of redemption, their first feeling was a feeling of assurance. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what what that doctrine, what that covenant provides. And that assurance yeah. is then born through even in the, the more harder-edged covenants in Scripture. Like if we think about the Mosaic covenant. And actually, Ligon Duncan had a, a great uh, quote about um, the Mosaic covenant, but we'll get to that. And, uh, well... The the only other thing I really wanted to talk about was they started to get into a little bit of a headbutting match um, when <laughs> when uh, I believe it was Mark uh, you could see the smirk on his face too it was kind of funny he he asked Mr Duncan um, about was there a, some level of discontinuity or continuity of these covenants. Uh, even into the new covenant. And of course he's thinking <laughs> baptism. 
right. uh, from a Presbyterian point of view. The so, elephant in the room. <laughs> um, they kind of kept it on the, on, they kept it low key for a while they and did. then it just like, it was like. It came out at the end. You know, Al was like, you know what, let's just get it out of the way. <laughs> but well, everybody, that's what everybody was expecting. So yeah, you yeah, can't make, of course. You can't wait forever. But um, it was actually surprising to see that for the most part, they agreed. Um, there is some level of discontinuity. Of course. Um, if there we, wasn't, it... The, anyway, what's the purpose? I was going to say, if there wasn't uh, any discontinuity, what was the purpose of Christ coming to fulfill it? Exactly. exactly. To bring it all together. Right. Um, you know, and uh, I mean, the shadow is never going to be the complete portrait. I mean, read the book of Hebrews and then tell right. me if there's a level of discontinuity. <laughs> right. <laughs> Good grief. Well, and also the level of discontinuity is is what um, springs up. Um, I don't, I don't want to say rivals, but um, or competitors, uh, but uh, other other looks into um, a kind of covenant theology, which would be. Uh, dispensationalism, for instance, which divorces itself from the idea of covenant and instead develops its own system to try to harmonize uh, the the discontinuities that are that are uh, latent in the in the uh, covenantal record. Right. A lot of people find that uh, compelling, and, um, and well, I mean, dispensationalism has become kind of the the basic theological model for uh, general evangelicalism. So, obviously, a lot of people find it compelling. Um, but historically, covenant theology has been the model for understanding uh, God's relationship with mankind. So it really wasn't until the 19th century that dispensationalism really started to to take flight. So a, a a recent a recent idea really did has swept through the church and become the the basic um, vanilla position of of evangelicalism, and they kind of talked a little bit about that. But obviously, there's been a, a big revival in uh, being interested in covenant theology, in studying covenant theology. I mean, new books are being written about covenant theology. So. Um, it's not to say that dispensationalism has completely plowed over any other views, but um, they did. They touched on that a little bit, but I still think covenant theology is the most traditional Reformed covenant theology, especially Baptist uh, 1689 federalism, I think is the most scriptural approach to it, but that's just my statement on that. <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. That's all I have to say about <laughs> Uh, Dever, I think, tried to maybe set a little trap for Duncan at one point, asking about... Yeah, he was fishing. Uh, the, the Mosaic Covenant. Is it a covenant of works or a covenant of grace? And um, Duncan gave a very Presbyterian answer, saying that it is an administration of the covenant of grace. And this is where we see a little bit of the divergence between the Reformed Baptist view and the traditional Presbyterian and Reformed um, we don't see that as an administration of the covenant of grace. It's a gracious covenant, but the covenant of grace in the in the Baptist mind is reserved for the new covenant. That the new covenant is the covenant of grace. Yes. And the various covenants that are passed along in the Old Testament, even if they don't call down doom on the breaker of that covenant, 
um, they're still not the covenant of grace. They are just a gracious covenant. And, and Ligon made a really good point that um, most of the ceremonial law was for what to do when you sin. The covenant of works has no provision for violating it. So obviously we can't consider the Mosaic law the covenant of works, such as was given to Adam. So what is it? Well, that's where the different camps would disagree. Yeah. I come down on the side of it is a gracious covenant, but it would to me it would muddy the water too much to call that the covenant of grace. Right. Even though it shadow I think it foreshadows the covenant of grace. Oh, absolutely. And we, we understand what Christ did better when we see it in light of the Mosaic Law. But that law in and of itself does not save. But the right. covenant, the new covenant does save. Yeah. Jeremiah yeah, promised that, and Jesus promised that. The, uh, the interesting thing about the Mosaic Covenant, of course, the backbone of that are the, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Um, there are many more laws other than that. Well, all the laws in the Mosaic Covenant spring from those Ten Commandments. That's like right. the, the backbone of it. Right. But before the Ten Commandments start... There is a proclamation of grace. It's it's like a it's like the gospel. It's right there, and uh, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And then he goes into the law. So he's reminding them of their redemption mm -hmm. because of him, solely right. through him, they were saved from their slavery, from bondage. Um, and then he goes on to say, now obey these laws. And so even in the midst of the Mosaic Covenant, which is probably one of the most law-heavy covenants that we have uh, had, the there I heard a cat. That would be my cat. <laughs> um, there there's still grace um it's like you said there it's a gracious covenant it was mm -hmm. it, but at the, it is not the covenant of grace if that makes sense i mean it makes sense to me as a baptist so it's something that ends up as a very long conversation if we're talking about the ordinances with a presbyterian or a lutheran even or a catholic obviously we're even further away from them than even a lutheran but um but there's a basis for that for that reading it's interesting Absolutely. too um i had never even heard about covenant theology until i became reformed mm -hmm. um from my background it just wasn't it was it not how you it, it was not how you looked at scripture um that that because then you'd be like that heretic john calvin <laughs> who wants to be like that guy <laughs> yeah dangerous heretic oh man um do we want to touch a little bit on baptism um the end of the video or do you have something else uh well they they just went over what covenant theology is about and there were three things and it kind of sums up what we've been talking about Covenant theology is first and foremost about assurance. Mm -hmm. It's about atonement, and mm -hmm. it's about how the Bible holds together. 
Um, it was a pretty simple statement, but yep. that that's a good summary of what we've been talking about here. So it's about assurance, atonement, and how the Bible holds together. That's and right. now into the baptism clash. So I had a I had a little a little bone to pick with Moeller on one one thing he said out of this whole thing. Uh, he said talking about the ordinance of baptism in in our actual application of baptism. Mark and I would be much closer to an actual dispensationalist in the yeah. actual application of baptism. I would say not, uh, except in externals only, because uh, the vast majority of dispensationalists are Baptists. Yeah. Um, but and and Ligon Duncan made a made a good uh, explanation too that um, quite a few Presbyterian ministers at the time also became dispensational. In fact, I think the developers of dispensationalism were Presbyterians, I believe. At least some that's, of them were. Some of the that's earliest interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it is. Um it's really kind of outside of the uh, ordinance slash sacrament discussion. Um so yes, all Baptists baptize in the same way, regardless of whether we have a covenantal basis uh, or we have a dispensational basis, but I I don't think that that has that much bearing on on the baptism angle. In fact, I think that covenant theologians have a better basis for for baptism than dispensationalists do, because they dispensationalists tend to to cut off the Old Testament from the New Testament as far as the life of the church. Like, they believe the church was inaugurated at Pentecost and is entirely separate from what God did in the Old Testament. So we miss all the rich imagery, like you said earlier about the Levitical covenant. Um, As a Reformed Baptist, and we believe in the priesthood of all believers, that that Levitical covenant that's explained is the covenant that we recognize in baptism because those levitical temple servants and priests were baptized by immersion like they were they were dunked and so where presbyterians carry on baptism as a as a recapitulation probably isn't the right word but as a as a continuation of of um, circumcision, the covenant sign, um, we would see it actually as um, the priest the priesthood angle, um, yeah, as a vocation. It was used as a vocation then, as to mark who was a priest, and because we believe in the priesthood of all believers in baptism, we are now recognizing this person is a covenant member by repentance and belief, and is now in the priesthood of believers. That's one succinct way to say it, and that's not to say every Reformed Baptist thinks that, but I know that's at least where I come from. Yeah. Um, and there's been some good books about that. So, you know, no, so I, I, don't, I don't feel a particular connection as a Baptist with dispensational Christians in baptism at all. No. So I'm not sure quite what he was getting at there, but I didn't really, I wasn't tracking with that. Yeah. Thank you, Matt Chandler. 
Mark Dever asked a, a good question of uh, Lincoln Duncan. Um, why do you give one sign, which is baptism, and withhold the other? Yeah. And so basically, why do you why do you baptize an infant but practice believers' communion? Mm-hmm. Or communion for someone that is a professing Christian. So, and, and again, his answer was entirely consistent with the Presbyterian understanding, which is to take the Lord's Supper, <clears throat> you must be active, whereas baptism would be a passive sacrament. Yeah. Simply yeah, because you are, simply because you exist as a child of members of the church, you receive that sign. Correct. And and then as a Baptist, uh, baptism is more... It's an. It's also an active. It's active. It's an. It's an ordinance where your profession of faith and your obedience to Christ is displayed in that He commanded those people that come to faith to be baptized. Right. It follows so from the Great you, Commission. You're obeying Christ's command to be baptized and in, in coming forward to be baptized. So right. it's it is an. There's activity in that ordinance as a Baptist, but at the same time we practice it a different way than a Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. Well, because we see we see both ordinances as not only an act of as an act of faith, but even an act of obedience as well. Right. It's 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 a means of grace, right? But it also, in a, in a very real sense, it's also an act of obedience. You know, we've been commanded. To be baptized, we've been commanded uh, to take and eat, to take the bread and drink from the cup, um, and these are these are good things for us. But it also it's joyful obedience to interact in them, and I think yeah. to bestow that on uh, on an infant would be to, to sell that spiritual um, that spiritual reality short. Yeah. And also, yeah. uh, there was a good a good point made that for for the magisterial reformers, baptism was virtually a right of the state, like a right yeah. of citizenship. Yeah, that that to be in the church was to be a citizen. Mm-hmm. So for us, uh, uh, f- you know, separation of church and state, freedom of religion, libertarian, uh, redneck Baptists, you know, <laughs> backwards Baptists with we're showing our. Yeah, our allegiance is to Christ, not the state, and we're not going right. to meddle. We're not going to let the church meddle in. Not going to let the state meddle in the church, or yeah. the church to meddle in the state. Like we're we're responding to a higher authority. We don't need to correspond what we do um, with the state or state power. That's unnecessary in in Congress. But I um. Can I tell a great uh, joke that came at the end of the video? <laughs> yes, and then I I have I'm playing um, snarky devil's advocate here at the very end. Okay, um, awesome. So you you do your joke, and then I'm gonna bring it back to reality. How's that? Okay, sounds good. <laughs> so near the end, you know, they had talked about the baptism stuff. You know, the mask had come off. They had a you know very real, frank but friendly discussion. And then uh, Albert Moeller, <laughs> at the end, he says, uh, you know, he, and they'd express their love f- for each other and admiration and respect and all these things. And then Albert Moeller says, look, I would 
trust Ligon Duncan with everything in the world, all my riches, but the one thing I wouldn't trust Ligon Duncan with is a baby. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a great meme with uh, Spurgeon, and he's like sitting there holding a cigar, of course. Of course. And it says, we don't wet babies, they wet themselves, or something like that. <laughs> oh, man. See, the, but, the fact that we can even laugh about something as important as baptism is and in, in, in keep in fellowship should be a sign of God's grace, that we can have a disagreement on something very, very important and still be able to maintain brotherhood and, and warm affection for even those within the church we disagree with. I think that's that's a good evidence of of um what what we were encouraged to do by Christ that that the world would would recognize us by our love. Right. And so I'm that's why I'm cool with like theological disagreements as long as yeah, we come yeah. out on the other side um showing love to each other. If you're preaching the true gospel and you worship Christ in spirit and truth, and you're you're getting your convictions from Scripture and not from something else, right? And you can and you can and you can explain your position, and it's a historical theological position. That's different than you know, going down the street to the Apostolic Tabernacle and getting getting uh, your your prophet saying something from his daily download from the Holy Spirit kind of thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So, uh, and that's know, a Apostle good... Bill got this vision, and yeah. now we have to do this thing. Yeah. Prophet Bob over here. <laughs> right. Doesn't look that, like any that... prophet I ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of is a good way to get into this last question, because at the very end, um, at the very end of the video... Uh, Ligon Duncan closes in prayer. Mm-hmm. This is not my position, but I know, uh, not that I know them personally, but I, I know people from Facebook and whatnot that would have a problem with a Presbyterian and two Reformed Baptists praying together. Mm-hmm. Um, why is it okay for that to happen. Uh, cause Jesus says so. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, no, cause, I, cause I, Jesus, Jesus died for, for his people. I, I think by, by the fruit of their lives, um, their passion for God's word, earnest desire to know him and to preach the gospel faithfully, these are all regenerated believers who have significant differences on on many important things, but not the deity and humanity of Christ, the goodness of God, the power of the gospel, and the uh, the duty and honor to uh, to bear witness to the saving power of God in the world, both in the church and outside the church. Correct. So yeah, they definitely should pray together. Yeah. Um, and that, that is unity. That mm-hmm. is church unity. That um, throwing aside your theological convictions so that everybody believes the same thing 
even though it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not unity. Right. True unity is what we saw at the end of that video, and I thought it was pretty cool. And also what Ligon Duncan talked about in his own individual talk that we talked about recently, talking about unity yeah. in the church. Mm-hmm. I think that was a good symbol, uh, a good um, ex- living example of that kind of unity. Well, I mean, shoot, we are, our church is part of FIRE, which is the Fellowship of Fellowship of Independent Reformed Evangelicals. There you go. Um, we are, uh, um, our church is a member of FIRE, and, but we are not Presbyterian, but we actually had a local OPC a pastor come preach at our church one Sunday, and I believe Dana went and preached at his church. I think our so. pastor. Yep, uh, it was like a pulpit swap. Yeah, so I thought that was cool, and it was a great sermon. It and, was great. Uh, but the the thing is, you know, as their brothers in Christ, um, would I would I invite a Lutheran to preach? No. Would you? It depends on the Lutheran. (laughs) (laughs) Your silence was the silence was deafening. (laughs) I I see. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm falsely. I'm I'm too too ecumenical. But um, there there are there are some some solid confessing um, Lutherans out there. That I I wouldn't mind if I were a pastor of a church that I would that I would gladly uh, invite them to take to come to to and take the pulpit and preach on on a preaching a, on a solid uh, topic or passage of scripture where we would have no to minimal disagreement. Right, and maybe preaching itself not so not so bad, but right. um, when you start to get into ordinances like celebrating the Lord's Supper, uh, that's where we. Yeah, I I, part I ways. wouldn't have yeah I wouldn't have a Lutheran serving communion in a Baptist church. No, that would be weird, and right. I think that uh, the Lutheran would, if he was a good Lutheran, would also refuse that. Sure. Yeah. Um. If they were if they were confessional Lutheran, they wouldn't. Yeah, they wouldn't do that. They'd be like, why are you asking me to do that? That's dumb. Right, right. But, okay, so that, but that honestly, was my qu- I would, I would have a confessional Lutheran um, preaching in my church before I would have fellow Baptist Stephen Furtick preach in my church if I were a pastor. Oh, yeah, of course. And again, this comes back down to the, the kind of paradox of the Reformed Baptist, because we really, I was thinking about this the other day, we have a lot more in common with Presbyterians than we do non-Calvinistic Baptists. Oh, yeah. And if I had my druthers, I, I would be hanging with, with Presbyterians over, um, I guess what you would call a um, a general Baptist. Okay. Okay, good answer. Okay. I um, passed that, the test. Yes. I, will, I will diminish and go into the West. Um, <laughs> but that's all I had. Um, I yeah, don't know if you I had, had anything to. else. Okay. No. I, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed the collegiality of it. I learned a lot. I was reminded of the importance of covenant theology 
even if we may disagree with brothers and sisters on aspects, especially of the administration of covenants, but in the end, um, the the gospel wins out in our covenant theology if we're doing yeah. it right. All right. Well, um, Lee, where can they find us? They can find us on guyswithbibles.com. That's where uh, you can listen to audio of the podcast. You can stream it there. You can also read our blogs. You can sign up for our newsletter, Guys With Newsletters, there. Uh, but you should really use your free will to go to the podcatcher of your choice and subscribe to the podcast. And while you're there, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a an honest and fair five-star review with a very nice comment, we would greatly appreciate that. Uh, and then you can follow us on social media, uh, on Twitter and Instagram, at Guys With Bibles. We have our public page, which is where our posts go, so you can like the page, but you can also find the Guys With Bibles Facebook community, and so do a request to join, and you can join in there. And then uh, you can also email us directly at guyswbibles at gmail.com, and we do have open DMs on both Twitter and Instagram, I think. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, both. So we love engagement, um, and, uh, you know, by God's grace, we've gotten to meet a lot of great people through this podcast and make some good friends, so we're grateful for that, and we're always ready to make more. So don't hesitate to reach out to us with comments or criticisms or just to say hello or send us a meme everything's everything's wonderful everything is awesome Awesome. everything's good when you're part of a team oh yes (laughs) (laughs) anyway uh is that it i'm so tired dude i am too i'm about to fall asleep uh all right. Well, um, thanks everybody for listening. Um, hopefully, you enjoyed it. And this is Guys with Bibles, and we're out. <laughs>